0: Boy, you uh, you all came ready to worship today, I could tell you that, huh? Man, it is good to be here with you worshiping. My name is Ben, and I have the privilege of serving uh, as the campus pastor here at Ankeny. And uh, man, today is uh, called Pentecost Sunday. It's the day we celebrate the Spirit falling like flames of tongues on the, on the heads of the early disciples. And so today, uh, we're glad to be able to celebrate in the Lord with each and every one of you. Um, I want to call to mind on this Memorial Day weekend, um, I want to call to mind Arlington National Cemetery. When I was a young boy, I had the privilege of visiting D.C. and seeing this firsthand. And let me tell you, if you've ever been there, you know the feeling when you look out over all of these gravestones, over the men and women who who fell in the line of service for our country, which is what we celebrate or rather remember this weekend. And I remember visiting the uh, the memorial for John F Kennedy. Has anyone ever been there before perhaps and if you'll notice it's there's not a whole lot to see when you first walk up. There's no giant monument like the Lincoln Memorial or anything like that. But rather it's just a it's a pretty pretty modest flame that looks like this. There's a few headstones there and and it's laid out there and there's there's, there's this fire that's just burning perpetually. It's called the Eternal Flame. It's it's pretty, pretty remarkable to witness, and if you've ever been there, there's just sort of an air of respect and dignity over the entire cemetery, and there's just this, this solitary flame that's burning. And day and night, 24-7, 365, this flame continues to burn. It's pretty remarkable, and it's been burning since the 60s actually started. It was Jacqueline Kennedy's idea. They lit, I believe, just a grill torch at the original funeral, and that legacy has passed on, and it's changed a few times, but uh, the question always always is asked, you know, has it ever gone out, right? And on record, it's gone out at least twice. The first time was due to flooding, and it it messed up the mechanical systems, the ignition and gas lines underneath, and it went out then. The second time is far more interesting, though, on record, and the story goes that back in the 60s, there was a Catholic nun who came to pay her respects to the JFK uh, eternal flame, and what she intended to do was sprinkle a bit of holy water on the flame, and what happened was the the lid of the flask came off, and the whole thing doused the flame in front of everyone. Can you imagine the look on the face of that poor nun, right? (laughs) Like, I don't, I'm not trying to make any statements about the like significance of what that means or anything like that. It's, I just found it interesting, right? None of all of all things, right? Um, the the story goes though, if you were stationed to guard the eternal flame, that you had to carry a lighter in your back pocket because it went out so much. So it has gone out, but the reality is, is that it is not easy keeping a flame lit, is it? There's a lot of resource. Think about every, any time you've gone camping, right? It is not, you got to wake up, you got to put logs on that fire. The same is true with this highly sophisticated eternal flame. There's upkeep. Uh, it, it's estimated that $200 a month just to keep this thing going, which actually doesn't seem too bad, right? But you factor in the fact that the lines had to be laid and maintenance needs to be done. The gas itself needs to be refined somewhere and mined and all of that. There is, man, there's a lot of work that goes into keeping this thing on fire. Think about the the amount it costs to guard the eternal flame so that people don't come in and put it out. And yet, our country has decided to pay that cost in order to remember, in order to have this memorial in place perpetually lit because of what John F. Kennedy meant to the country. During his inaugural address, he's talking about those who defend freedom during this difficult time, and he has this quote that says, and the glow from that fire can truly light the world. Oof, whoever wrote that speech was spot on, right? The, the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so for that reason, we keep the flame lit. It's not easy. costs a lot. But evidently, it's worth it. When it comes to keeping that fire lit, the same is true in our spiritual lives. It can be difficult to keep the flame of Jesus burning bright inside of our lives at times, can it not? Many of you probably recall, if you're a believer in Christ, maybe those moments when you first turned your life over to Jesus. You surrendered and said, my life is not my own. I'm giving it over to you. I repent. I change direction. I change my mind. Many of you likely recall the infilling, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in that moment where you were regenerated. You were given a brand new heart in that moment. And that fire, that spiritual fire inside you was likely burning red hot. Do any of you recall that moment in your lives? You know what I'm talking about. But it's only a matter of time, you know this also to be true, it's only a matter of time where it, it feels like that flame almost begins to diminish just a little bit. And, and maybe for some of you, that, that flame has diminished quite a bit. Maybe, maybe the storms of life have, have caused flooding on the flame of your heart and of the spirit within you at times. Maybe for some of you, you have, you have burnt out on lifeless ritual or religion or rules that people have imposed on you in your past. Maybe for some of you, quite frankly, you don't have time to keep the flame lit, and so it doesn't burn as bright as it once did. For others, the cost to keep that flame lit is just too high, if you're truly honest. The cost you've determined is just too much. And let's be honest, most of us in this this room can feel that. It feels harder than ever at times to be a follower, a genuine follower of Jesus Christ in today's world and today's culture. Am I right? It feels like it's more difficult than ever. In, in many ways, it, it, it probably is to some degree. For instance, let's look at some data. Pew uh, Research Pew Research uh, shows the trend line of those who claim Christianity, those who call themselves Christian, hovered around the 90s in the early 70, 90 percentiles, and look, the dramatic dip down to 64% in 2020 is projected to fall below 50% very soon. And those are just nominal Christians, right? Those who claim Christianity, How about Gallup data? They asked, um, is is religion increasing or decreasing its influence in American life? More and more people over time say that religion is decreasing its influence in America. There's that chart. Those who say religion is increasing is is likely, is is dwindling as well. You'll notice there's two spikes there in that trend that go against the grain, go against the train. The two spikes were in in the year 2001 and in the year 2020, 2020. Evidently, in those two years, religion gained influence. Religion was important for a while. Can anyone think of why, perhaps? It feels harder than ever to be a Christian. It feels harder to keep that flame lit, because in many ways, it is harder and harder, church. And if you're here today and you experience that, you're among good company. We welcome you. That's what we're here to talk about. But even though it's difficult in our time of political polarization, where, everyone, where moral relativity, where there is no real right and wrong, it's all just do what feels best, speak your truth, whatever goes, as long as it doesn't harm you, it flies. Whatever. In this world today, it, it is difficult to stand for something. It's difficult to stand for objective truth. But can I tell you something? Even though our, our culture and the moment we live in is difficult, it's nothing compared to the context in which Paul wrote to Timothy in that passage we just heard from Kendra. We're going to be reading out of Second Timothy chapter one verse five. I encourage you to uh, get this in your in your Bibles if you could in front of you. Please pull it up on your phones. We have Bibles available in the back as well. For our Second Timothy, rather Second Timothy chapter one. If you could turn there now. The context here is that the Apostle Paul, who is the author of much of the New Testament, the author Paul is writing to his protege, his young apprentice named Timothy, who has been charged to be a pastor over the church in Ephesus. And so he's writing here actually from a cold dungeon. Paul's been imprisoned, and Paul is about to be executed. These are the final words that we have of the Apostle Paul. They're significant. This is, this is the, last, the last words that Apostle Paul has to his young protege, Timothy. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes this. I am reminded, he's talking to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Paul first calls to mind this legacy of faith uh, from Lois down to Eunice that now lives in Timothy. It's likely that uh, Timothy's uh, father was actually a Greek. We don't know if he converted to to Christianity or Judaism or not. Uh, Timothy wasn't circumcised, so we don't have reason to believe that his father did that. Um, And so Paul actually took a father figure role to this young Timothy. He calls him my dear son. And he's calling back to memory of this faith that lived in his mother and his grandmother, and that word "lived" is the idea of dwelling. This is not just like a momentary stay at a hotel. This is like an inhabitant inside of you. Their faith inhabited them, and it was passed down from generation to generation. It's fascinating to think of the idea of our faith, of our faith living in us. right? We think of the Holy Spirit living in us. We think of God in us, Christ in us, but our faith living in us. Elsewhere in scripture, it also says the message of Jesus lives in us, which I think is kind of interesting. And Paul is calling this to mind to encourage this young man in the faith. He continues in verse 6. Famous passage. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Paul about to be executed, is saying, Look, I am reminding, reminding you to fan this gift into flame once again. What is this gift? What exactly did did Paul impart? There's lots of scholarly speculation on that and and differences of opinions on that. For instance, we're all given gifts at the moment of regeneration when we accept Christ. We are given what's called spiritual gifts, imparted gifts from the Holy Spirit in order to do works for the kingdom. Now, those gifts usually take time to, uh, to learn how to grow into, to learn how to develop over time. Many of you know what your spiritual gifts are. It could be administration or teaching. It could be acts of service and so on. So it could be a spiritual gift that's been given here. And this could be the gift of administration or of teaching, for instance. Timothy is leading a church. It also could be a sort of commissioning that has happened for Timothy. We get a little more information in the first uh, letter to Timothy. Paul writes, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So picture this moment. There's a young Timothy about to start off in ministry. The elders are there surrounding him. Paul is there, and they are laying on hands. Words of prophecy are being spoken over him, and evidently there are gifts that are being imparted to him for the works of service. This is a significant moment in the spiritual life of Timothy. This is a significant moment in his walk. He has been given something. Something's been imparted and affirmed by Paul and the elders. Maybe it was like an ordination service that we have even today. It's remarkable. This is an important. And what does Paul say? He says, I remind you to fan into flame. I remind you. This isn't just language like, um, hey, remember that time? It's not what he's, Paul's saying. It's not like, hey, remember that time we went to Chili's and we ate too many appetizers and we got sick? And It's, it's not that kind of Remember? The word Paul uses here in the Greek is anaminesco. Anaminesco, which if you have your worship guide, means to remember and weigh well and consider. Think about those words. To weigh well and consider, to ponder, to recall, to think back, to, to, to remember the meaning of these events. That's the word Paul uses. Paul is saying, Timothy, I'm inviting you to carefully recall to fan and to flame that gift, that moment that you had of the laying on of hands, that spiritual marker in your life, Paul urges Timothy to remember and consider this God-given moment. When I was 17 years old, I shared this story a few years back, I was 17 years old, I had just started coming back to the Lord in faith, I had wandered far away, realized how far away from God I was, that scared the crap out of me if I could be so bold, and I came back to the Lord in full force, and one of the days I was uh, attending church just two miles away. And this precious, I shouldn't say precious, this bold, powerful little old lady came up to me, and she looked me in the eyes, and for whatever reason, she was compelled to say these words. She said, Ben, you are going to make a great youth pastor someday. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. That, that's what she said. And when i, I got to be honest, I ever, when I heard that, it struck me because I was like, I, uh, I have no intention of becoming any sort of pastor at this point in my life, thank you very much. I had no intention of doing that, right? And so I, I was like, okay, thank you, you know, shake a hand. I'm like, I'm out, I'm out of here, okay? But those words struck me, and they stuck with me. And, and I kid you not, five years later, literally, five years later, I took a job at Radiant Church as a youth pastor. What? Little words spoken by a little old lady one Sunday morning, just a random Sunday at church, came into fruition, and I've never, ever forgotten those words that were spoken over me at that time. And I say that not to say anything about me, because I'm certainly not the great youth pastor that she was proclaiming to be. I say that to say, have you ever had someone speak something over your life before? Have you ever had a moment where someone, dare I say the words, prophesied over you, spoke something over your life, saw something in you, and, and called that out by the power of the Spirit inside of you? you ever had that happen to you? If you, if you have, you know what it's like. It sticks, doesn't it? It sticks with you. And here, Paul is saying, remember, I urge you to recall and remember that moment in your life. Fifty times through Scripture, probably more, at least 50 times in Scripture, uh, the the Israelites, God people, are called to remember something that God did, both as an encouragement and sometimes as a warning to call back and recall. In fact, let me give you an example Um, The Israelites, way back in the Old Testament, uh, they had to pass through the Jordan River. Do you remember this story if you grew up in church? Pass through the Jordan River with the Ark of the Covenant. And so once the priests got into the water, uh, the, the water dried up and they were able to pass through the river on dry ground. Miracle, amazing, right? And so this is what they were told to do after they passed through this Joshua chapter four. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. Elsewhere in Deuteronomy 6, God says, these commands that I give you, you are to remember them well. You are to put them on the door frames of your houses. You are to tie them on your arms. You are to walk in them wherever you go. In other words, God is calling his people. He's saying, put up memorial stones in your life so that you do not forget what the Lord God has done. We do this even in in our world, even today. For instance, on the northeastern coast of Japan, there's a village there called the Anayoshi Village on the northeastern coast. And there you will find a 10-foot warning stone. It looks like this, with inscriptions on it. And there's hundreds of these lining the coast of Japan, some as old as 600 years old, which I think is really cool. And this is what the stone reads. It reads, Remember the calamity of the great tsunamis. Do not build any homes below this point. Is that haunting or what, right? You know that that stone was put there in that place for a reason, so that people would not forget. The story goes that in 2011, when the great tsunami did hit Japan again, that that homes below that point were wiped out. Memorial stones put in place for a reason, Not just for warning, but for encouragement. Look and see and remember what the Lord did right there in that moment. You crossed the Jordan River on dry ground. Do not forget it. Set up that memorial stones. Church, here today, we all need spiritual memorial stones in our lives. What do I mean by that? We all need in our minds and our hearts to to plant firmly in the deepest part of our spirit, those moments and those memories where God moved without a shadow of a doubt, and you can point to it and say, look what he did. Because we oftentimes forget what God told us in the light when we venture off into the dark, do we not? And we need those those memorial stones planted firmly in place to say, I know God said that. I know he did that there. No one can deny that, because it's right there. It's a stone, and we all need to plant those firmly in the deepest part of our soul, those moments where God showed up without a shadow of a doubt. First Timothy 1:18. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies, we talked about those, the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. How do we fight the battle well? We recall the prophecies, the words that were spoken over us, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have, I love this language, suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. When you forget the words that God has spoken, when you neglect the good conscience, when you neglect the faith, you will suffer shipwreck of your faith. So how do we fight? We recall God's truth from his word, from what's been spoken over to us. Timothy, in this moment, he is suffering severe persecution under Nero. Many are rejecting their faith. Many many people's faith are being tossed and turned by the waves and the storms of persecution so hard that they are now shipwrecked. They've capsized. They are drowned out. The flame has gone out. And Timothy is in this moment. And Paul is saying, I urge you to recall and remember, to fan into flame the gift of God. Can you recall any of those moments that you've had in your life where you, you knew God spoke? Can you draw them back to mind where something was prophesied over you? Those memorial stone moments in your life? 2 Timothy 1, Paul continues, or I'll read it again, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands For the spirit of God, the spirit God gave us, listen, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and what? Self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline. That's the spirit that lives inside of you. It doesn't make us timid. It makes us bold, and it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We need all three in conjunction, do we not? You don't want power without love and self-control. That's tyranny, you don't want self-discipline without love and power because that's just, that's just protection, that's fear, that's, that's not stepping out in faith, that's just self-control, that, that, that doesn't change the world. We need all three, we need power, we need love, and we need self-control with love being the unifying factor of all three. It all comes back to love, does it not, church? That's the Spirit of God living in us. It does not make us timid. That is what we are to call to remembrance, to fan into flame, that gift that he has given us. Whatever gifts that have been given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit himself is called a gift. Whatever deposits have been made by his Holy Spirit, whatever revelation you've come to through the reading of his word or through conversation with others, whatever, fan those things into flame, church. Fan them into flame, fire requires three crucial ingredients. You guys probably know what they are. The first is fuel, right? Anyone name the second ingredient of of fire? What is it? Oxygen, air, right? You need air. The third one, though, what's the third one? Third ingredient is heat. You need heat in order to keep a fire burning, real heat. How many of you know that it's hard when you're setting up a campfire, um, it's hard to get it started sometimes, especially if you've got dry wood, or, or rather wet wood. You need dry wood to get that fire going, but how many of you know the, the real trick to a fire is letting it burn long enough that you get a nice bed of red hot embers there? Heat that is just ke- keeps on going, keeps on generating, and, and it allows it to burn even further. Um, the other day, my wife and Jane and I, we were out back, and it was a beautiful evening. I think it was last week, maybe, and we set up a campfire, and Jane loves roasting marshmallows. She just loves it. She asked for a campfire like every night, and <laughs> we're so boring. We're like, maybe once, maybe once a month. But uh, no, we, uh, we had a fire, and it was great. And uh, the, fire, the flames had dimmed down. We'd burned a lot of fuel. And there at the bottom, though, there was these red, red-hot embers in the bottom. And if you were to stick your hand over, over the little campfire thing, man, you would feel it. And so we didn't even need flames. We were, we were uh, roasting those marshmallows just over the hot coals. And I was was trying to get the fire to go out a little faster, and so I took a a big old branch, like a big stick, and I, I stuck it and began to poke those embers. And I kid you not, instantaneously, the end of this big, fat stick lit on fire right away because of the heat that was generated from those embers. Right away, it just, poof, burst into flame. There were embers there that were allowing that heat to take place. There was oxygen, there was fuel that was burning. The right ingredients were there. Timothy's church is under persecution. Timothy was likely feeling discouraged, likely battling with maybe even insecurity. Maybe he wasn't feeling so bold at the time. Timothy's mentor and his partner, the one who called him dear son, this father figure in his life, had been imprisoned in a cold, dark dungeon and was about to be executed. I would imagine Timothy's flame at that point was maybe not burning as bright as it could have been. I, was ima- I would imagine that those, those factors of life, man, that would extinguish a lot of flames, wouldn't it? But Paul knows something about Timothy. Paul knows that a gift had been imparted to him. Paul knew that there was a bed of embers inside that young man that had not gone out. I gotta ask you today, for those of you who are struggling, for those of you who don't feel like that flame is burning very bright i got to ask you, is there still a bed of embers, though? Is there still something there? A promise long ago that God gave you? A calling? I'll bet there is. I'll bet there is. And so what does Paul say to this young man? Verse 8, he says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel, Paul writes. Can you imagine the suffering Paul was going through, what he'd been through to get to that prison cell? And and Paul's looking at his young protege, Timothy, and he's saying, come on in, the water's fine. Join me in the suffering for the sake of the gospel. Do not be ashamed. We have nothing else. This is the real deal, Paul says. He has saved us and called us into a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose in grace. Amen? My prayer today for each and every one of us in this room and listening online, wherever you are, my prayer today is that we would rekindle authentic faith inside of us, recalling God's faithfulness, God's provision, and recalling God's calling in each and every one of our lives today. That's my prayer for right now that we would rekindle and fan that flame of the gift of whatever he's given. Whatever it is, that gift that you've been imparted with, maybe it was a word or a promise or a dream that you didn't quite understand, whatever that gift is, that you would recall it in your mind, and I invite you to recall that gift and fan it into flame today. And we're going to have a moment at the end to do just that, that I'm excited about. But I want to leave you with three things. Three ways to fan into flame as we continue on. First and foremost, is on your worship guide. First and foremost, we got to stoke the embers. You know what I'm saying? We got to stoke the embers. That bed that's there, that latent heat that's been generating, that's been burning white hot, that maybe you can't really see, maybe it's not very flashy, but it's there. That bed that has, over, over the test of time, has remained there. We got to stoke those embers, What are those landmarks in your life, those memorial stones where God God moved obstacles in your life? Do you remember those? What are those memorial stones where God opened doors that seemed to be shut forever? What are those moments where you experienced his healing like you have never seen before? How about that time that he answered that prayer that no one knew you even prayed in your closet? How about when he comforted you and when you were weeping and you felt all alone? What about that first time you felt the sweetness of his grace and his love wash over you, pour over you, as you repented and and received forgiveness for the very first time? Do you remember that, that memorial stone? How about when you were baptized? When you heard news of revival breaking out in our nation even? How about at the awakening night a few months ago? How about right now? Is Is God stirring something in you? What are those memorial stones? Stoke those embers those things that have been laid in your life, remember them. When you're suffering, when you're confused, when you're tempted to abandon, like Timothy's church was in Ephesus, we need to recall those things, bring them to mind, as Paul says, carefully consider and remember them well. Maybe for some of you, you, you just need to find creative and new ways to experience God in your life, to fan that into flame. Do you know how you connect best with God? A lot of you maybe do. Maybe it's, you know, big worship services and big moments with the Lord for other, others of you. It's like, it's definitely not around people. It's by myself, you know, studying God's word, learning something new, the intellectual journey for some of you. Uh, this website right here, radiantonline.org pathways, will redirect you to a, a quick survey to see how it is that you best connect with God. Some of, it, some of you, it's, it's just walking out in nature, Anyone, anyone out there like that? Like you see the stars, you see the trees, you see the complexity of nature, you see the, just the genius of what God did when he created cells and DNA, and you look out and you're like, all of this was by design and it's meticulously perfect and wonderful, right? For some of you, that's how you connect with God, but my question is, do, do you know how you connect with the Lord? So maybe just write down slash pathways and maybe check that out after the service. First one is stoke the embers. What are those memorial stones to call back into memory? Number two is this, let your light shine. Paul says, do not be ashamed, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. Jesus said these words, you are a lamp on a stand. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's who you are, Christian. You are to let that light shine. There, look, I, I get it today, especially with my generation. There is a lot of hesitancy a lot of reluctance to live boldly for your faith in this world that we live in today. I get it, right? You, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to claim that we're the only ones who have truth and that all other religions are, are wrong. And all, like We don't like that feeling. I get that, right? But, but man, I, at some point, we got to stop being ashamed of the gospel. And I'm speaking to my generation. I'm speaking to my people here, Okay? we got to stop being ashamed of the gospel. Romans 1, 6, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. Think think about this. Like Paul himself was not ashamed to be in chains and suffering for the gospel. Paul, the one who was born into notoriety, born into prestige, likely had a lot of wealth. He was a Pharisee. He was well-known. He was well-off. People respected him. And what was the trajectory of Paul's life? Was it the American dream of up and to the right, accumulating power, all of that? No, it was the exact opposite. Paul's journey was was down and to the right. He ended his life in a cold dungeon, and he wouldn't have it any other way. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the good news. Church, can I tell you something here today? We need to start behaving as if the gospel of Jesus Christ is still good news to people in a dark and broken and lonely and lost world. Do you remember what it was like when you first tasted grace and forgiveness in your life? Wouldn't you want to just share that with the world? Why would you be ashamed of that? Can we? It's good news. It's the best news. It's how Christ saves souls. For all time, eternity. Can you imagine an eternity living with a holy and loving creator? God, I can it's That's why Jesus went to the cross for our sins. Why he set the kingdom up so that we can be human in a new way. Not using our boldness as an excuse to be unloving. That's not what I'm saying. Not to be dismissive of other, of other people's opinions and what they hold dear to themselves. That's not what I'm saying. Not to be abrasive or to be brash or anything like that I'm just saying we gotta act like it's good news it's the most loving thing we can do for people right it really is the most loving thing we can do for people is to serve them well love them well and then tell them the good news of Jesus do you believe that look I get it in many ways it feels harder to follow Christ in our current cultural moment than ever before but can I tell you something you know this to be true the light always shines brightest in the dark We're in dark times. People are hopeless. Have you seen the numbers on loneliness, depression, anxiety, mental illness in our world today? People are clamoring for all sorts of hope and healing and help. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it's Jesus Christ and him crucified. I believe that to my core. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's all we have. It's the truth. It's good. And it's life number 3 is fan the flame in and for others the gifts that we've been given by god are not just so that we can feel good about ourselves <laughs> right not so that we just you know progress on our own spiritual journey and my private faith or anything like that look we all have to have an inner life and interior life with the lord that's important but the gifts that we've been given that we are to call to fan into flame are we are to do that in and for the sake of others first peter 4:10 puts it this way Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to do what? Serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, the creative forms that God has given it. Amen. So my question to you today is, who has imparted gifts unto you? Was there a Lois or a Eunice in your life? A grandmother, sweet old grandlady who's praying for you every day? Was there a a mom who showed you and opened the Bible with you at night or prayed with you? Who has imparted gifts into you, that legacy of faith that's being passed down? Paul would say, continue in what you have learned. And maybe for others, we are called to impart now those gifts into others. Scripture says to spur one another on. Spur one another on. Keep going. Here's your encouragement. Keep running with me. We can do this spur one another on. Let me ask you this way. Who, who are you called to be a Eunice or a Lois to? doesn't matter if you have biological children or nieces or nephews. Doesn't doesn't matter any of that. Who are you called to be a Lois or a Eunice to? Who are you called to be a Paul to? Who are you called to be elders to, leaders to? This world needs, man, the, the next generation needs godly adults, godly mentors to come alongside them and, and show them how to sh- shepherd them, how to navigate this crazy world and follow Christ. That's us. We are called to use our God-given gifts for purposes far bigger than any one person. It's not just about us and our special giftings, right? We know that. It's to edify the church and to serve others. To build up the kingdom of God to see the kingdom of heaven come to earth, on earth as it is in heaven, so that God can do a mighty work among us and through us to a world that's lost and lonely and hurting and dying. It needs the good news. Church, I get it. I'm, it takes a lot of intentionality to keep a flame burning. Does it not? It takes a lot of cost to keep a flame ignited. It takes time, it takes intentionality, it takes prayer, it takes effort, but can I tell you something? It is so desperately needed in our world today. The flame, the gift that God has put inside of each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, which you can become one today if you'd like, you can become one right now in in this moment you can, and we, when we pray in a moment, you can become a follower of Christ today. You can have the spirit of the living God imparted in you. Each of us have been given a gift from the Holy Spirit, but it takes intentionality to keep that flame burning. But it's worth it. It's needed. Because the glow from that fire can truly light the world. The glow from that fire can truly make a change. The spark there can start a chain reaction that cannot be stopped, cannot be quenched, cannot be driven out. The spirit of the living God is more powerful than any effort of the enemy, any powers of darkness. We, we know that, right? We don't need to be ashamed of the gospel anymore, church. We can go out in boldness. We have the spirit of the living God. It doesn't make us timid. It gives us power, and it gives us love, and it gives us self-control to see the kingdom come on earth. And so this Pentecost Sunday, my prayer is this, that you would fan into flame the gift of God, that you would set up those memorial stones where you said, God did that, and no one can take it away. I saw him do it, I remember him doing it, and he's gonna do it again. He's gonna do it again. I believe that.